the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, September 14th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking at NAMA's rebuttal of the CNAG's findings on the Project Eagle sale in Northern Ireland. Later, Kira O'Brien will tell us about the pros and cons of the iPhone 7 and we'll also have some more profiles of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year nominees. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. But first to NAMA and it's £1.3 billion pound Project Eagle sale in Northern Ireland more than two years ago, which has become mired in controversy. Today we've had the CNAG's assessment of the sale process and NAMA's vigorous rebuttal of its conclusions. Joining me in studio to sum up the arguments from both sides is Irish Times business reporter Barry O'Halloran. Um, Barry, I suppose we should just set the backdrop uh, for all of this. We had the sale of Project Eagle, which was basically the the entire portfolio of assets, or more or less the entire portfolio of assets that NAMA held in Northern Ireland. That was in 2014. They sold it for uh, one Point three billion odd pounds seemed like a good deal at the time, but subsequently we started getting this drip drip of allegations about the involvement of Frank Cushman, who's a former advisor to Northern Ar- uh, to NAMA uh, in relation to Northern Ireland, and also the involvement of uh, Cerberus and some law firms in Northern Ireland. And today we had the CNAG's assessment of that whole process and NAMA's rebuttal of that, and quite a vigorous one as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're 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 challenging the. They're fundamentally challenging the basis on which uh, the CNAG has made its calculations. And those calculations are to the effect that the Irish taxpayer lost something to the tune of 109, potentially lost something to the tune of 190 million sterling, about 220 million euro in today's money uh, from the sale. What NAMA is saying is, well, actually, this they're applying the, the, the wrong discount rate. They're using the wrong calculations and the calculations are being done by CNAG staff who have um, no background in the, the sale of commercial assets. And therefore, um, this is si- simply and completely wrong. Yeah, and also they're also claiming that contrary to earlier media reports, and this might be a dig of the Irish Times, they're saying that the CA, CNAG report makes no claim of irregularities. We might come back to that uh, in a moment. But first of all, just tell us uh, in a nutshell, give us in a nutshell what the CNAG's view of the, the way the process was handled by NAMA uh, back in 2014. Okay, the, the, the CNAG's bottom line appears to be this 190 million figure. They feel that, the, first of all, that, that, that NAMA sort of started out with, with evaluation on the, on the portfolio as it stood of, of 1.49 billion sterling. That got boiled down for various reasons, which, you know, I suppose you could argue were commercially sound, um, to 1.3 billion, and that was the figure that the board approved. NAMA brought the yeah. figure to its board and said, this is what we think And just to completely confuse uh, people, the outstanding NAMA debt on those loans at the end of November 2013 was £1.98 billion. So yeah. there was a haircut being taken here. It's there was, just a question of what size. There, there, was a, there was a haircut being taken. It was a question of what size. And in, in one way, I think that the, the, the argument boils down to whether NAMA should have held on to the loans for a little bit longer and worked, worked, through, worked through them or whether they should have sold them at the time for the price at which they sold them. Nevertheless, the CNAG says, look, this cost us about 190, 190 million. Alongside that, uh, and I think this is important, um, the, the report also seems to be saying that NAMA should have been more aware of the conflicts of interest uh, created by the involvement of its former advisor, Frank Cushnahan. 
um, who worked for a period on one bid, a bid submitted by PIMCO. Mm. And PIMCO, it's interesting about PIMCO, isn't it? Because in September 2013, PIMCO uh, proposed the short and exclusive process for the sale of these uh, loans. In other words, they wanted NAMA to deal exclusively with, with itself. Yeah, that is correct. And, and that was as a result of overtures from Frank Kushnahan and uh, Tuwin's law firm in Belfast, which worked on uh, both PIMCO's bid and then subsequently on Cerberus's bid. Okay, just just remind people about who Frank Kushnahan is and what his role was with NAMA. Fra- Frank Kushnahan was originally a member of NAMA's Northern Ireland Advisory Committee, um, which was put in place in 2011. And he remained on that until October 2013 when he resigned citing, you know, personal reasons and other interests. He popped up again, if you like, in um, March 2014, when it emerged that he was working on a bid being put forward for the Project Eagle assets uh, by PIMCO. When that happened, uh, PIMCO dropped out of the process, dropped out of the auction altogether. Frank Kushner also apparently dropped out at the same time. But however, Tuin's uh, a Belfast law firm, and Brown Rudnick, a US law firm, who had both been advising PIMCO, remained in the process and turned up to advise Cerberus, the winning bidder. Right, OK. Now, um, uh, the National, just going back to PIMCO, in September 2013, they wanted a kind of an exclusive process. NAMA said, decided, no, we'll have an open sales uh, process. They appointed Lazard, they went out to market, and they got a small number of bidders. Yeah, that is correct. They, they they wound up effectively with two bidders, Cerberus and Fortress, PIMCO having dropped out. Mm. But up to, it appears that up to 10 firms were actually approached. Uh, but and the, the vast bulk of them dropped out for various reasons, including some of them saying that they didn't have enough time or some of them saying that they, they there was a lack of relevant information. Yeah. Now, the CNAG's report doesn't actually make any findings in relation to the actions of individuals or, or third parties, but it does uh, make some interesting, make for some interesting reading in terms of the, the process that uh, later followed after PIMCO um, dropped out. Uh, sub- uh, NAMA subsequently learned of the existence of a success fee arrangement involving Cerberus uh, on the one hand and Brown Rudnick and Tuins, uh, as you've mentioned, on the other. Um, and it seemed to rely on assurances uh, from Cerberus that no fee or payment uh, was being made to anybody connected with NAMA. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. And uh, Cerberus gave those assurances and Tuins and Brown Rudnick gave those assurances. Yeah. Um, and the CNAG seems to be saying that the allegations around Kushnahan's involvement uh, in this fee-sharing arrangement warranted more action uh, by NAMA, but that NAMA really didn't look into this uh, too carefully. And they seem to be suggesting that, uh, you know, they probably, NAMA probably should have gone to the National Treasury Management Agency, under whose umbrella they operate, um, looking for some advice maybe from the compliance unit. Um, and it, it turns out they didn't brief Lazard about this involvement either. And Lazard was the advisor to NAMA on this whole sales process. Yeah, and this is something this this is something where NAMA clearly fell down, but where NAMA has always said there was no problem. They, they, what they have said is, look, the problem is all at, w- with the buyers. We acted properly at all times, and we ensured the integrity of our process at all times. Now, it has to be said that all the other parties, Cerberus included, uh, have been saying the same thing, but the CNAG clearly disagrees. Right, okay. Highly unusual that a state agency would come out and basically have a go at the CNAG about a report uh, in, into its operation, but I mean, NAMA have done this. I mean, they've really gone studs, studs up in this, uh, in this manner, in the way they've come out and defended themselves here. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before. That's not to say that it hasn't happened, but 
Um, it's when you take it that the CNHE is probably one of the most effective agencies, if you like, in in the state, uh, and this is a this is a pretty robust response. You wonder if NAM are are uh, about to take on someone who is effectively bigger than them. Yeah, and they've written a letter to the Minister for Finance using very similar robust language. And uh, Frank Daly, the NAMA chairman, has said it's clear to us that if NAMA had retained the Eagle portfolio, there would be no investor interest in buying it today or in the foreseeable future, and anything close to the £1.3 billion uh, price that was actually achieved. Of course, we've had Brexit in the meantime, so, I mean, he might be right about that, but who knows? Um, the ultimate return to the taxpayer may well have been more than uh, what NAMA has achieved, but I, I guess that's all uh, supposition. But has there been any rebuttal from the CNAG to NAMA's rebuttal? Not that I've seen at, at this point, but any, uh, I suspect it's not far off. Any reaction from the government? Um... I'm not actually aware at, the, at this stage. Mm. I think that the government's, my, my understanding is the government's view of this is is in contrast to NAMAS, however. Yeah, we should say that the report is only out about an hour or so yeah. at this stage. It was presented um, to government earlier. Where, where does this go from here, Barry, do you think? I don't know. There, are, there There's talk of a judicial-led inquiry here. How, just how effective that is going to be, I, I don't know. Um, you... you it would have to be able to compel a, 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 an array of parties who it effectively may not be able to compel uh, to turn up to get any kind of meaningful information. Obviously, NAMA can be compelled, and NAMA would turn up, I suspect, in, in any case, and defend itself in, in much the same way as it's doing here today. Well, NAMA would have to, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a state absolutely. Age. Yeah, absolutely, it would have to turn up. And, but, I mean, the people to whom we should really be looking to talk are the likes of Frank Cushnan the likes of Pimco, the likes of Cerberus, all of whom have um, politely but firmly uh, refused to talk to a similar inquiry in the north. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've had a chance to go through what the CNAG said. You know, what's your assessment of the CNAG report? Are NAMA, does NAMA have some grounds for complaint in terms of uh, the way the CNAG report is put together? You, you might argue on the basis of the valuations that Yes, they might, because, you know, two different accountants, if you like, are going to look at something like this and possibly weigh them in two different ways. But nonetheless, I think that given that the CNAG is the the chief state accountant, if you like, we should really give an awful lot of weight to to what he is saying. The other side of it, and I think that, again, I think this is significant, the the fact that they've highlighted the conflict of interest issue and the fact that NAMA has more or less washed its hands of that all, all along, I think is is very important as well, and I think that both the the valuations and the conflict of interest warrant further inquiry and further investigation. Okay, Barry Allen, thank you for joining us. Now, Apple recently launched its new iPhone Seven, but is it any good? Earlier, our tech reporter Kira O'Brien gave us a quick rundown on the pros and cons of this new device. The new features on the iPhone Seven. Basically, they've improved the camera. There's not a whole lot, if you look from the outside, there's not a whole lot that you can immediately look at and think, yes, that's an iPhone 7. In fact, for the most part, it looks fairly similar to the iPhone 6S and the 6S Plus. The casing's slightly different. They've moved the antenna bands, uh, and particularly on the iPhone 7 Plus, you might notice that there's a slightly larger camera. And that's because one of the big selling points of that particular model is that it has a dual camera on it. Now, not dual lens, but actually dual cameras. One is a wide-angle lens, which is what you would usually get on a, on a camera phone. The other is what they're calling a telephoto lens, but it's actually a 56mm lens. So it gets you that bit closer without having to use digital zoom. There's also been a massive improvement in their low-light photography. Usually you'd get kind of murky shots. Uh, They'd be a bit noisy, a bit grainy. Now you'll actually get some fairly decent 
uh, shots that you wouldn't actually be 100% sure were shot in low light. Some other good things about the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus, they've redesigned it from the inside out. So you now have a new chip, the A10 Fusion chip, which has four cores, two are for power, two are for efficiency. If it needs more power, it will get more power. If it needs to be a bit more efficient, it will actually dial down the power so you don't, you basically not run a full tilt all the time. So it's better for your battery. But actually speaking of the battery, that's that will be another plus for the the upgrade is that the battery has been improved. The display in this case, it's brighter. Uh, they've largely kept it the same. It's same size. So the 5.5 inch for the iPhone 7 plus 4.7 inch for the iPhone 7. Uh, and it's the same similar um, similar resolution. There are some negative things about the new iPhone. The big one that everybody is complaining about is Apple has got rid of the headphone jack. Now we know the reasons why, they've explained the reasons why, probably not very well initially. I mean, calling it a move that's courageous rather than you know the, telling us the, the real reason. Basically, the headphone jack takes up space. Um, the headphone jack is analog rather than digital and they figured they could use the space for something better. So they've got rid of the headphone jack and now what you have to do is you've, you, have, you have three choices. You can either use the lightning-enabled earpods that come in the box, which will plug into where you plug your phone into charge. Uh, you can use the adapter that comes in the box that will plug into the same lightning port, but will allow you to plug your regular earphones into the other end. Or you can go Bluetooth headphones. Now, there's obviously quite a few choices of Bluetooth headphones out there. Some are better than others. Um, I, Apple are bringing out their own version, which are the AirPods, uh, which are a whole other thing altogether. Uh, basically, it's like you take your existing AirPods and you hack the cables off and you just stick them in your ears and that's your AirPods. That's pretty much what they look like and what they feel like to wear. I can see the benefits in it. For a start, like, obviously, Lightning is a digital standard. So the idea is now that they will be able to get better headphone technology because it will push the technology to the headphones rather than to the phone. So you'll be able to get better headphones and they won't have to do anything on the phone. That's I can understand that that way of thinking it's just inconvenient for most people um, and that's something I think that it's going to take a, a mindset change and I'm not sure it's going to be as successful as other uh, other changes Apple have made in the past one of the best things about the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus is that they've made it water resistant this is something that people have been asking about for years because if you if you I know anybody with an iPhone the one thing they complain about is they've dropped it in the sink they've dropped it in a puddle they've dropped it in a toilet they've dropped it in, the, in their pint you know it's an expensive uh, mistake to fix and with this one tiny change, it's just going to make things so much better for people. There you have it. For a more in-depth review of the iPhone uh, features, uh, you can read Kira's full report on the irishtimes.com. She's also done a, a video on Facebook, which I'd recommend uh, for anybody to tune into. Uh, we'll take a short break now and return with the third of our profiles of nominees for this year's EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Back in a few moments. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. 
Welcome back. Uh, I'm joined in studio now by three more EY Entrepreneur of the Year nominees. They are Kira Clancy of Beats Medical, Paul Quigley of Newswhip Media, both of whom are nominated in the emerging category, and Gavin Walsh of iCabby, who's been nominated for the International Award. Just going to ask each of them to give us a little elevator speech just to tell us a little bit about themselves and their businesses. My name is Paul Quigley. I'm CEO and co-founder at Newswhip. Uh, Newswhip's a Dublin-based company that is the eyes and ears of the world's media. Uh, we monitor which stories and events are getting traction online, what people are talking about in any topic, in any geography, and we feed that information live to newsrooms, to people who work in government, to people who work in corporate communications, so they know what is engaging people in the world today. And my name is Kira. I'm CEO and founder of Beats Medical. Beats Medical provides Parkinson's treatment uh, for people uh, through the mobile phone. We do this in providing treatments for mobility, speech and fine hand movement symptoms of the condition. And we have users in over 40 countries worldwide benefiting from the treatment and reclaiming their independence. My name is Gavin Welch. I'm the founder and CEO of iCabby. iCabby is a software company that's developing taxi dispatch systems for taxi companies. Um, the world, the taxi world, is is uh, changing dramatically right now. With the with the, as as Uber and companies like that have emerged, and traditional taxi companies globally are desperate for technology. So what we've been doing very effectively is with the cloud-based platform, we've been offering taxi companies globally uh, the the technology that they need to compete against Uber. Okay, guys, uh, thanks for that. Gavin, I might just uh, pick up with you, first of all, because yeah. most entrepreneurs, I suppose, setting up businesses nowadays, especially ones uh, using technology, they tend to be disruptors. But you're actually working with the established players, if you like, to fend off the impact of disruptors. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, look, that's exactly it. So, um, you know, uh, Uber, again, they, like they, they entered the market in probably about 2010 um, with great technology. And traditional dispatch companies around the, around the world had very hardware-intensive systems. So these guys needed something that was going to evolve fast, uh, fast uh, to, to meet the... Um, to meet the demands of, of the public. So what we do is we give traditional taxi companies white label consumer apps. We give them uh, book, uh, phone systems that gives great IVR. And we're just dri- driving a lot of efficiencies through traditional taxi companies, allowing them to grow. Right. And is this a service you're just offering in Ireland or abroad? or? Um, we have 70% market share in Ireland among companies over 50 cars. In the UK, we've been targeting the large players. So we've got over 50% of companies over 500 cars. Interestingly, the market is consolidating massively. All our customers are growing significantly. We've entered the US last year, which again is way behind in terms of technology from the UK. So we're massively disrupting that market um, You know, with better technology than our competitors. Uh, we're entering Singapore in about a month we're going to be entering in Canada uh, we're going to be in South Africa so again taxi companies everywhere in the world are desperate for technology and we are the best yeah. answer Okay guys uh, thanks for that Gavin I might just uh, pick up with you first of all because yeah. most entrepreneurs I suppose setting up businesses nowadays especially ones uh, using technology they tend to be disruptors but you're actually working with the established players if you like to fend off the impact of disruptors. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, look, that's exactly it. So, um, you know, uh, Uber, again, they, they, they entered the market in probably about 2010 um, with great technology. And traditional dispatch companies around the, around the world had very hardware-intensive systems. So these guys needed something that was going to evolve fast, uh, fast uh, to, to meet the um, 
uh, to, to meet the demands of, of the public. So what we do is we give traditional taxi companies white label consumer apps. We give them uh, book, uh, phone systems that gives great IVR. And we're just dri- driving a lot of efficiencies through traditional taxi companies, allowing them to grow. Right. And is this a service you're just offering in Ireland or abroad or... Um, we have 70% market share in Ireland among companies over 50 cars. In the UK, we've been targeting the large players. So we've got over 50% of companies over 500 cars. Interestingly, the market is consolidating massively. All our customers are growing significantly. We've entered the US last year, which again is way behind in terms of technology from the UK. So we're massively disrupting that market um, You know, with, with better technology than our competitors. Uh, we're entering Singapore in about a month we're going to be entering in Canada uh, we're going to be in South Africa so again taxi companies everywhere in the world are desperate for technology and we are the best yeah. answer Paul your company is uh, trying to figure out I suppose how to make money in, in the digital age if you like out of news it's something that the Irish Times and many other established publishers have been grappling with for many years now um, you guys obviously I guess you think you've cracked it so tell us a little bit about your, your business model and how you actually make money so we haven't cracked how to how to save media, if you will, or how, how uh, you know the future of how newspapers will be making money. What we have got a really good handle on is how media is being distributed now online. It used to be you got a newspaper into your hand, you got the TV straight into your living room, but now people are passing stories person to person online. Uh, there's a lot of distribution through WhatsApp, through Facebook, and through Twitter. And that leaves a lot of media companies uncertain of who their audience is, how far their stories are going, and also which stories they should pay attention to. So Mm. that's where we come in. We monitor all of that distribution to see what are people sharing and talking about online. And so we're not interested necessarily in what's on the front page of the paper. We're interested in what are the readers of the paper sharing with each other. And we do that for all of the world's media, more or less in real time. Uh, but in, what's an interesting new new track for us is companies using us directly. MasterCard use us and Nintendo use us to track which stories about them are the ones going viral and about their competitors and about areas and topics they're interested in. Kira, your company is in a completely different field. You're in the medical field and you're helping people with uh, Parkinson's disease. Just tell us how that works. So people with Parkinson's uh, suffer from a number of different symptoms um, that persist despite the medication. Mm. These include issues with walking, such as short and shuffling steps and sometimes freezing stuck on the spot. They can develop issues with speech, so losing the volume and clarity of their speech over time. And similarly, issues with fine hand movements and things like doing up buttons, zippers and writing. Mm. Um, Many people can suffer all or just some of these symptoms. And these are really areas where allied health therapy such as physiotherapy, occupational therapy and uh, speech and language therapy can have a powerful effect. The problem is the treatments need to be individually tailored to the individual's needs on that day um, and as previously have only really been available in the in-clinic and hospital setting. So we found a way of tailoring these treatments and prescribing them to that individual's needs for that day to allow them to speak clearer, walk more easily and help um, improve their hand movements. And this is via an app on, on the iPhone? Yeah, so it's all provided through something that's very accessible and very much like anything anyone has, whether you have a person with Parkinson's or not. Many of us have a mobile phone, so it's discreet and uh, very empowering to have something in your pocket that can help you take control of these symptoms. So is it on all smartphones or is it just iPhone? So currently the two new treatments for speech and dexterity are only available on iPhone and the mobility treatment is available on Android and iPhone. Gavin, this whole idea of entrepreneurship and, you know, are entrepreneurs born or made? What what do you think? Um, Were you born an entrepreneur? I mean, you're 
your background is in the Irish School of Motoring, isn't it? It is. Um, look, I, I grew up with a, a father who started a business very successfully. I've always wanted to be like him. Um, don't tell him that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I've started up so many businesses that I'd probably, some that I'd probably care to forget. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all, it's my passion. I love business. I, everything I look at, I come up with an idea. The last uh, kind of six years that I've involved in ICABI, it's been incredibly important to really focus because this is a serious business. Now employing 64 people, we have a global opportunity. Um, but so I don't look at everything and come up with ideas, or I do, but I kind of st- stop the idea there. Um, but I, you know, I, I personally do think that uh, people are born wanting to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, uh, Paul, you're co-nominated, aren't you, with your uh, colleague Andrew Milani, your uh, business partner. I'm just wondering what your game plan uh, for the business, you know, in three to five years. Is this something that you would hope maybe Facebook might acquire or, I don't know, Rupert Murdoch or some other big player in the market might uh, might acquire you guys and you go off and do something else? Our ambitions for the company have gone up as time has been going by and as more new types of users and, and markets have been coming in and using the technology. So at this point, our ambition is to build a category-leading technology. We, we call what we do content intelligence, giving you intelligence about what content is, is mattering in the world. We think we can be the leader in that, in that market. We think the market's going to grow massively over the next few years and that we can build it all from Dublin. So our ambition is to build this world-class tech company right here in downtown Dublin, headquartered here, mm. and you know, vacuum in fantastic people and make it a great place to work too. So where do you see the business in three three or five years' time, let's say? So ultimately, our focus and the origin of all this was Parkinson's. We'd like to continue to do our utmost to make the maximum impact on those people's lives. We work very closely with them, both our brand ambassadors across the world and the groups of people with Parkinson's that always demand more and look for more from us, and, and rightly so, they should. Um, but we feel that what we've done in Parkinson's to date has been quite powerful. And again, once again, I'm in a situation where I don't want to stop there. We feel we can do the same for people who've been diagnosed with stroke, cerebral palsy, dyspraxia and MS. And I think technology is the powerful vehicle that we choose to use to do that over the next five years. What about the cost? Because one euro a day, I mean, for a lot of people, it's very affordable, but for some people, it's not. So are you going to be able to do something on costs? So a huge amount of what we want to do, all of the cost to date allows us to be a sustainable, high impact business. So the cost that we attain to date from our treatment is to provide the service that we provide and to create more treatment for those users. Um, as a product um, it expands across the globe and through reimbursement, um, that will become much cheaper for people with Parkinson's. But for now, as many say to us, it's the price of a cup of coffee and it allows me to go out and get that cup of coffee and come back with it. And I think, you know, that's something that we've we've uh, we've taken from our, our people with Parkinson's we work with. Yeah, sure. Is this something you see yourself selling on? One of the big giants, one of the big pharma companies maybe ends up owning? It would have to be the right um, group. Uh, There is the potential that our ultimate goal is to have impact around the world. There are players that may have that social interest and be able to allow us to have that impact much faster. If they're the right group, then that the right group to partner with to ensure maximum impact, then they're the people we'll look to. If they're not, then we won't. Yeah. Gavin, before I let you go, uh, I've got to ask you about Uber and driverless cars. Yeah. Uh, is this the future? What do you think? Do you know what? They, they've put driverless cars in Pittsburgh, 100 of them last week, I think. Uh, I think it's going to happen very fast. 
Um, there's going to be different regulations in different countries. I don't. If you'd asked me six months ago, I would have said it'll be ten years before it's in Ireland. You know, now I would say it could be five years. The the, the car manufacturers are really getting in behind this. Uh, they're all buying into companies like Lyft, which are Uber competitors, and um, there's just phenomenal investment going into it. And the players that are behind it, it's it's uh, it's going to come quite quick. My kids won't be learning to drive. I won't be... I, well, they'll still drive, but uh, they, they won't maybe need to learn to drive. I certainly won't be teaching them. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> and Paul, everybody in my industry wants to know how long, how much longer newspapers have. What do you think? Um, I think whatever printing presses most newspapers have right now are probably the last set of printing presses they'll invest in. I mean, it was... news 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 print was a great technology for distributing information. It was cheap, it was light, it was easy to get around, but the internet's cheaper and lighter and, and gets around quicker than a newspaper, so that does look like how it's going to go. Uh, but there's still new magazines and new newspapers starting that tend to be in niche areas or in fashion, and uh, I think there's there's always a future for print. Some things look better in print. Right. Okay, Paul Quigley, Kerr Clancy, Gavin Walsh, thank you for joining us, and good luck in the awards. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Owen Murphy, Kira O'Brien and our EY nominees, Gavin Walsh, Kira Clancy and Paul Quigley. John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow us, the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, take care.